Heavenly Father, we're thankful we can gather here together freely, Lord, to worship Thee, Father, to sing praises unto Thee, and to learn from Thy Word, Lord, to be able to read it publicly, Father. And we thank Thee for that, that we don't have to worry in this day about the persecutions that we read about this morning in the book of Acts. Yet when those days come, when those times come, Lord, we pray that we will have and lean on the strength of thy Holy Spirit as Peter did, that we could speak boldly, that we can continue to boldly proclaim and profess the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, and we pray that thou wouldst continue to give that to us. Please help us share the gospel, spread the gospel to those around us, Lord, and we pray now that uh, thou wouldst be with us, Lord, as we open thy word. Help us learn from it. Speak to us, Lord, to our hearts. Help us understand it, Lord, and apply it to our lives. We pray for those who are unable to be here this morning, Lord. Uh, we know there are those who would like to be here but could not. Father, we pray that thou bless and comfort them as well. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to turn this morning uh, to James, the letter to James, which is towards the latter part of the New Testament. And uh, back home, uh, I've been starting to go through James. Uh, It's been taking quite a while because there's so much in there, uh, a lot that we can apply to our lives. Uh, So I would like to start this morning by reading the first chapter of James, but uh, then just focusing on a few of the uh, verses in the middle of the chapter. If we could start by reading James chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, But it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. 
For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Read the entire chapter, and uh, as we look at the, the beginning of the chapter here, just as a bit of a recap, we recognize that um, there will be temptations that uh, come about, and going through certain, also uh, talks about certain trials we go through in our lives, and uh, these are things that we all experience and can be strengthened by them if we uh, keep our faith strong, if we rely on the Lord. Um, often we are strengthened by going through these trials. It helps keep us uh, sharp, sometimes being kind of put to the, te- put to the test. It uh, kind of keeps us a little bit more focused, uh, helps us rely on God. And again, we read of some of these trials this morning in Acts chapter 5 in Bible class where um, they were put on trial. They went through trials of being imprisoned uh, for teaching and speaking about Jesus. And we didn't see them waver. We saw their faith grow. We saw the churches grow uh, because of the reaction that those men had as, as we talked about them rejoicing after they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. And uh, likewise here, uh, we need to have that same attitude that uh, when we do, when we are tried, that we endure And as it says in uh, verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. We continue in that love, and there will be that crown of life to follow. And this morning I would like to focus, uh, starting at verse 13, talking about this temptation and uh, what it is we are, are tempted by and what temptation is. For it says, God does not tempt us. Our temptations do not come from God. We do know and understand here that God does allow temptations. We read of different places in the scriptures of those uh, that are tempted. And there's a difference between uh, temptation and um, falling into temptation or um, taking part in that temptation. Right? Everyone is tempted by many different things. We're tempted by different things. Um, but what we do with that temptation, if we uh, pursue it more, if we fall to it, is much different than uh, turning from it. So I want to talk about that this morning. And uh, we have to recognize that temptations do originate from the devil. And we think of what a temptation is. When we say we're tempted by something, what does that mean? Uh, for all of us, although we are tempted by different things, uh, typically the characteristics of a temptation are the same thing. It's something that's desirable to us, something that we kind of want, maybe even just a little bit, or maybe we, we don't even know we want it or how badly we want it, but it's something that appeals to us uh, in a sense. And um, it's desirable. It's usually 
something that um, was, uh, as, as probably been even stated from here, but we know things about sin is, and temptation is it's made, uh, Satan uses things that would seem to be enjoyable to us or, or fun. Sin from the first onset or appearance seems to be fun, something we want to do. It's a, a carnal, fleshly desire, uh, something that appeals to us. Uh, we can be tempted with, uh, whether it be wealth or objects, items, experiences. And uh, sometimes when it's not something that we have, that we possess, with temptation, sometimes we start getting thoughts in our minds of, what could I do to obtain that? And sometimes the, the ways that we think of coming up with that are sinful. And uh, sometimes, right, if we want something bad enough, we've probably found ourselves doing something that even we're a little bit surprised by, like, wow, I can't believe I was willing to go to that measure or hurt that person's feelings enough to do that or willing to, to steal that from that person, right, a- after we fall into that temptation. So we can be uh, tempted with these different things, but we need to recognize its origins as oftentimes when we, uh, in the middle of a temptation, the Spirit lays it on our hearts and we know it's a temptation. And we start to have this struggle, like, well, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? And we, we recognize often it's wrong. We have to recognize its origins. Uh, but it, it is um, made to seem fun, but we have, to, we have to be careful and recognize how the devil is working. If we read in <clears throat> 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, ha- have our eyes, our heads up, be watching. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, we think where a lion is and, and the animals around, the little animals, they, they don't have much of a chance, right? And the lion's just kind of looking around like, well, who can I take down next for my next meal? And we need to be careful and always on the lookout and always be vigilant and watching. Um, and oftentimes we can be blinded from the dangers. You know, we might see a lion as a big kitty cat, right? And sometimes the devil can almost make it appear that way, like, like it's safe or it's not that bad. We, we won't really get hurt if we get close. And uh, we need to be careful of that because uh, the devil is, is cunning, right? Subtle. It's slowly, he slowly wears away at us sometimes and, and uses different weaknesses of ours to do that, to kind of tear us down. Sometimes just to try a little bit of something, right? We think it's just safe enough or just a little bit of it. And we know sometimes how quickly that can suck us in and uh, all of a sudden we're drowning in something. Because we, we thought we could just, uh, you know, have a little taste of something. And um, I came across this uh, comment made by someone named Kent Crockett. I don't know who he is at all, so I'm not endorsing, or I, maybe if you look into who it is. But uh, I thought the comment he made um, kind of helps us give an idea. And he was talking about a cartoon in the New Yorker magazine at one point where it was these pigs all uh, feeding from a trough on a farm. Right? And the farmer's coming and um, dumping food in the trough, and the pigs are looking at each other and talking to each other, uh, if you can imagine that. And uh, one hog asks the others, have you ever wondered why he's so good to us? Thinking, uh, maybe foreshadowing a little bit of, why, why is he uh, trying to fatten us up so much? Why, why is he taking such good care of us? And we all know that anybody that's a pig farmer, what the end goal is, is to be able to sell the pigs uh, so they can be consumed. 
And uh, he made this comment, when Satan tempts people, he's like the farmer fattening up the pigs for the slaughter. Temptation looks appealing at first, but it always drags its victims into misery, bondage, and heartbreak. Right? That food looks good. They keep coming back to the trough. They feel safe there. They know they're going to get fed, well taken care of. And Satan recognizes this, recognizes our weaknesses, knows we need to be fed. Our desires need to be filled. And we look for that. And that's what we um, thrive on and strive for sometimes to a point where we get kind of blinded to the dangers around us or, or thinking, where is this going to take us uh, down the road? But as we read here, again, we need to remember that God does not tempt anyone. But what does it say in uh, James 1 verse 14? But every man is tempted. Again, there's that truth. Is tempted. And when does that happen? When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. We're drawn away back to those things that we want and desire. Our own lust that entices us to go kind of look, look further and search a little deeper. And when are we most vulnerable? Do you feel vulnerable in this room right now with many believers gathered together? We don't really. right? We feel safe here, as we should. We have accountability. We have those that can pray for us, those that can watch out for us. But if we walk out of this building by ourselves, maybe even if you're uh, you know, walking down the side of the road by yourself, you're a little vulnerable. right? Or when you're at home by yourself, or when you're at work, kind of by yourself, secluded from the family. So when we're drawn away, when we're alone, separated from our safety, we're vulnerable. When we're tired, when we're hungry, there's, we want food much more when we're hungry than when we're full, right? And we know that sometimes we'll do almost anything in a hungry state to get food as opposed to, if we're not hungry, we're not even trying to get food. It doesn't, sometimes doesn't look appealing to us. So we have to think about... Um, how our senses are kind of change a little bit. And when we are desperate, we make desperate decisions. And I think we can all, no matter what phase of life we're in, in this room, there's been times where we've, in desperation, have made decisions that we wouldn't make if we had a clear mind, if we weren't tired, if we weren't full, if we weren't, uh, you know, as it talks about, um, when in the scriptures encourages not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled in excess with the Holy Spirit. What better decisions do we make? When we're filled in excess and guided by the Holy Spirit, or when we're overcome with alcohol and, and we lose our senses, we don't make decisions based on wisdom or on, on any good merit. Right? So those are the differences that we can think of here. And I was thinking a bit about this with temptation. Uh, you know, every summer, we're like coming here, going fishing at a Tisco, and I think you have you know, fish that are looking for, uh, you know, we use bait to try to catch fish. They're hungry, looking for food. Something catches their eye. It sparkles. It moves a certain way. It shimmers and glimmers, right? And, and maybe even looking down into the water, you can kind of see a fish swimming. All of a sudden, it, it turns because it sees something it's interested in. <clears throat> and um, we as humans know this. I've learned this from, from dad and my brother-in-laws that there's different tactics you can use. There's different lures you can buy. You can do the wacky rig, the Ned rig, the uh, all different kinds of ways you can put the fish or the worm on the hook and bounce it around and dance it on the bottom or swim it around like it's injured. All different kinds of things that attract the fish. It catches the eye of the fish, and it's made to look appealing. Sometimes you dip it in something that doesn't smell great to us, but the fish like it, and it attracts them. And uh, we think about that. They 
All of these things make it so enticing, and in their desperation to eat, they don't recognize that big, sharp hook sticking out of this rubber worm. And we think there's nothing, uh, there's no reward for the fish even. It's not even a real worm. They don't even get any pleasure of being filled after it. But they don't know that. They don't recognize that as a true worm, as the, the truth, let's say. Right? So they, they go and they uh, follow this. They attack it. And we have to recognize, think of, what are those called? They're called fishing lures. It lures the fish in. Maybe it lures it away from the, uh, the rest of the fish where it had safety. Right? It lures it in because it looks good to it. And it wants it. It thinks it wants it. It lures them in. There's tricks that it plays on their weaknesses, on their desires. And they don't know until it's too late and they're hooked. And right away sometimes they feel that pain or they recognize, like, uh-oh, I'm, all of a sudden there's something pulling me this way. And they fight right away and they, sometimes fish can get off. And uh, good for the fish, bad for us. Right? But if it fights right away, it recognizes the danger it's in. But sometimes it doesn't matter. It's too late. It's hooked too well. Right? Which is good for us. We landed in the boat, but we think about that with Satan. Right? Satan is, it's like he's fishing for us. And sometimes we recognize it right away, or uh, when we're close to the Word, in the Word, we have the Spirit living in us, and we're walking daily in the Word. We recognize that danger, like, that's not for me. That's one of those fake worms that's supposed to look good to other people, but I know because uh, the, I know what the truth is. I'm not going after that today. Right? And then sometimes we try it a little bit, and and we're like, oh, something doesn't seem right about this. And right away we get a little prick in the mouth. And we're like, oh, that's not, not the right thing. We run back to God. Right? But sometimes we get so deep. We're so desperate. We make such a poor decision that like that fish, we realize like, what did I do? What have I done? How, how, could, I, how could I have not noticed this? How could I get this deep in? Right? And uh, so it's, it's something we have to be careful of because Satan, again, knows knows our weaknesses. And what are those weaknesses? We can read of them in 1 John chapter 2. Starting at verse 15. He writes, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Those are our weaknesses, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Right? There's things we see that we want. There's, we're prideful individuals, right? We don't like to be humbled. We don't like to experience shame, again, as we heard about uh, this morning. And we have lust of the flesh, things that we, we desire, that we want. So um, we see that the world contains all these things. We know this. We see them every day. And Satan plays in those uh, different parts of our, of our desires. And we recognize that these are not the desires of Christ. As, as Christ was tempted of Satan in Matthew chapter 4, after Christ was baptized, the devil took Jesus up, said, let, uh, Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights... He was afterward and hungered. He was hungry. He had a weakness, a physical weakness. And what did Satan do? The tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So he was physically weak. But as, as Paul writes too, 
um, in that physical weakness, Jesus was spiritually strong right after his baptism, filled with the Spirit. And that's much more important than being physically weak. We can have all the things taken away from us, but something that can never be taken away from us is the connection to the Father that we have. No one can take that from you. Somebody can take all your food, they can take your house, your land, whatever it might be, your car, but they cannot, no one can take away the ability to pray from you. You can pray anywhere and everywhere at any time to speak to the Father, to have the Spirit living in you. Nobody can come and grab the Spirit out of you. And that's something we have to take great courage in. When we are physically down and weak, we have the Holy Spirit that we can rely on. And we see Jesus was hungry, and Satan used that as a tactic and said, here, make food out of this. Make food out of these stones. You're hungry. Doesn't that sound good to you? What what would we think? Like, oh, that that probably wouldn't be that hard to do. Well, I mean, for us it would be, but Jesus saying, yeah, I I could make bread out of these. He could do that, and he was tempted with that, but he didn't. But that was the lust of the flesh, something to eat, to consume. And Jesus' answer is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Live by the spiritual things, not by the carnal things. What next? Verse 6. Satan said to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. He's pride of life. This could be a prideful moment. All the power and glory could say, Yes, come save me, angels. I could jump off this pinnacle, and I could be saved. I could be caught, kept safe. And Satan's tempting to do this to... um, to show this, show it off, the power. And Jesus says, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. This is what Satan was doing. He's tempting him. Finally, in verse 8, Again, the devil taketh him up into the seating high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. You could see it's the lust of the eye. You could have all these things that you can see. Doesn't that sound wonderful? All you need to do is worship me, the devil says. And what does Jesus do? He said, get thee hence, Satan, or get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. There's a verse that says, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And this is what Jesus Christ did. He showed us that. And in each of the areas of temptation that Satan knew were his weaknesses perhaps at this time, being hungry, perhaps tired. He had been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, alone in a sense. Spiritually, he was not alone though. But Satan tried to use those as, again, he does, tries to use with us. And he uses evil and evil people, evil tactics to attempt to tempt us and lure us away from Jesus. And uh, we need to be cautious of this. Peter describes some of this. If we read in uh, 2 Peter, I'm just going to skim through some of these verses. 2 Peter chapter 2, we have an encouraging, uh, some verses of encouragement that it starts with. In verse 9, it says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the lust in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. 
So we're encouraged that for those that are godly, for those that rely on Christ, it says, Jesus, the Lord, knows how to deliver them out of temptations. So we have that that we can rely on and be thankful for. There's that victory over sin. There's that um, way of escape from the temptation. Yet we also read that there will be judgment for the unjust, for those that um, continue to go to the temptations, to succumb to the sin. And then going on in some of the other verses in 2 Peter 2 and verse 12, but these, uh, talking about those that are evil, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to the riot in the daytime. Spots they are in blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin. So these are those evil ones. They, they can't even stop from sinning and um, all this evil that they do. And we read in 17, continuing about them, these are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, making everything sound nice and lifting you up, they allure, they lure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same, he is brought in bondage. So they're promising liberty, making things sound great and wonderful. And the people whose mouths this is coming out of are corrupt themselves and servants of corruption. We need to be careful. It talks about uh, in Matthew, the false prophets who are wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. They look safe. They look nice, soft and gentle, just waiting to devour. And we need to be careful of that. We can be tricked easily, so we need to be careful. And then in verse 20, it says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them that than the beginning. For it hath been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is returned to his own vomit again, and the sow that when washed to her wallowings in the mire. Those that know have accepted Jesus Christ, have put this life behind them, right? And uh, again, even, even when we fall into some temptation, or let's say even a, a small temptation, if you could call it that, how awful do you feel? You almost you have this feeling of this dog that's turned to its own vomit, turned back, or you know, being clean and being muddied again. Right? And it's, it's a disgusting feeling, and you feel terrible. And you, you, having the ability, thankfully, to ask God for that forgiveness, knowing where we've gone wrong, asking uh, for accountability from others to help in those areas. We have to be careful that we are not lured by the evil, by those temptations, and that we're ready to fight against them, to recognize them and turn from them. So we look back, then in James, in our, our main text here, James chapter 1, verse 15, there's this progression and this consequence of falling into these temptations. We see it in verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, 
brings forth death. Pretty clear and simple. Lust, temptations, leads to sin. Sin always leads to death. Right? Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And again, it's so important. But the gift in God, instead of the wages of sin, instead of having uh, that sin, Jesus Christ paid for all of that on the cross by shedding his blood for us so that we could be saved, we could have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we see, we've seen this happen um, in the scriptures that it will destroy spiritually and physically. We see David and Bathsheba, right? David lusteth after Bathsheba. He went unto her, or called her unto him, laid with her, and he physically had Bathsheba's husband killed. That's, he was so clouded by the lust of the flesh. And we talked in, in the beginning here, what would we be willing to do to have what we wanted? He was willing to have someone killed so that he could keep Bathsheba for himself. We look at Adam and Eve, right? They had that lust of the, um, of the fruit in the garden that they were tempted with, that, the Satan's, that Satan, the serpent, subtly tempted them with. And look, they brought death to all mankind. There was no death before that until they had uh, partaken of that. And that's an extreme example. That's where our death comes from today. All because of the corruptness of falling into that temptation. Because they were so curious. And, And Satan made it sound like it really wasn't that bad. It made it sound like a good thing. And that even, that's not really what God, did God really tell you you couldn't eat that specific fruit and that something bad would happen to you? Right? Satan tried to kind of twist it up and make it sound not that bad or, or good. We're given some clear instructions here in James 1.16 then to finish up. Do not err, my beloved brethren. And it sounds simple, but it's straightforward. Okay, we're not all perfect. There's going to be times when we err, when we find ourselves in error. But we need to strive to do our best to, to live in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit so that we can uh, recognize when we're being tempted. <clears throat> we can read um, some encouraging verses, and, and we need to remember these, that trials and temptations will come. We will be faced with them. And we need to recognize them, though. Recognize, again, their origins, where they're coming from. God is not tempting us with things. The devil is. If you read in 1 Corinthians 10.13, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. Okay, you're not going to have some temptation greater than anyone else has dealt with. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but, with, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. What is this saying? Temptations we're going to face have been faced by someone else in some form. There's, God's never going to let something uh, come our way that we, with the Spirit, would not be able to overcome. It says that it's not going to be above what we are able to handle. So we can um, be encouraged by that. But will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape. There's always a way to escape. If we think of something that we were tempted with in the last week, in the last month, and um, perhaps you escaped it, perhaps you didn't. If you fell into that temptation, think back. Was there some other option? 
Was there a way to escape? Because sometimes we feel like I had no choice. I, I had to do this. I had no choice. Was there another option, a way to escape? There always is. And, and sometimes we think, well, what could I have done? And sometimes it might seem simple or even silly, but you know, there's times where you could close your eyes. You could turn your head the other way. If you're in a room where something's about to happen that you know is evil, you know that if you stay there, you're going to partake in it. You can turn around and walk out the door and go to a different room, go to different people, be surrounded by different people. Right? That is a way of escape. Now, that might not be the most popular thing at that time, especially if that group of people is your friends from school or your friends at work, and you know that if you leave, they're going to notice that you leave and might think it's a little bit odd or think you're a little bit strange or why did that really upset him that we're talking about these things or doing this? But as we, uh, again, the verses this morning in Acts, it is better to obey God than man. And that's what Peter said. We will obey God over man. And we should think that we, sh- we will do the things of God instead of the things of man. No, so no matter what kind of shame we might experience as men and women, as humans, spiritually, we are following the things of God. And we should rejoice for that. If we feel when we're walking out and somebody says something to us afterwards, like, well, I can't believe you left that. And you can say, because that is not pleasing to my God, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'll rejoice if, that you think it was weird that I walked away. Right in 1 Peter 4, it talks about uh, those that... Better read it. Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. People will speak evil of us because we're not going to the same excess of riot. We're not um, succumbing to the temptations that they are, to the sinful life that they are. And that's okay. They might think it's strange. But we have to take confidence and, and uh, be confident in our faith that we're serving God, that we're doing what pleases God over what's pleasing ourselves or pleasing our friends, our peers. And we can be encouraged as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Starting in verse 8. Apostle Paul is writing, We are troubled on every side. Yes, we are troubled on every side but we're not distressed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. Things will happen. Things will come our way. There will be times where we feel uh, maybe a little bit beaten up or feel imprisoned or uh, feel tore down. But we will not be forsaken. Jesus Christ said, I will not leave you nor forsake you with the promise of the Holy Spirit that indwells in us. We should not be, um, when we're troubled on every side, we have comfort in the fact that we are living in the will of the Father, which does not promise a perfect life, but it promises that things will work together for good, for the good of the kingdom. And that's what we need to uh, be confident in and thankful for. Uh, You know, I read, if we think about it, through these temptations, these trials, different valleys, I read somewhere recently that uh, you know, we will all go through those valleys. We look at uh, Daniel and the lion's den, which I, I think the kids learned about this morning um, in Sunday school, right? Daniel was in the lion's den, and he was saved from it. He wasn't saved from having to go into the lion's den. He was in that valley, and people think, you know, the night before, people think, God, how could you let this happen? But think of how, uh, 
well, I don't know, un- or anticlimactic it would be. I mean, it would be great if Daniel was spared from that and uh, they recognized before that you know, Daniel shouldn't have to go into lion's den. But look, look how many lessons have been taught over hundreds of years about how a man spent a night with lions and came out unscathed because God protected him. Right? And, and if Daniel would have never been put into the lion's den, that story would have uh, perhaps lost a level of, um, I don't want to say excitement, but it impacts us a lot more. Right? The men that went into the fiery furnace, they weren't pulled out of line right before they went in. They made it seven times hotter, threw them in, and they survived it. They were rescued, came out. The people that threw them in were burnt into a crisp, and they walked out of the fiery furnace because God saved them. And Joseph was put in prison for a long time, and he was raised up to be second in command in Pharaoh's house in Egypt. Right? He could have been spared from prison, but there's chapters in Genesis we can read about how God used him and worked through him that we would have missed out on if he would have been saved before those trials. So we think about the valleys that we go through, and sometimes we might find ourselves kind of wallowing in that, right? And it's hard because we're human. We deal with things of the flesh, but we need to lift up our spiritual lives higher and, and see the purpose that God might have for us and rejoice in times of shame or in times of despair, as we can read the examples of the apostles. So just in closing, uh, I want to read out of Titus chapter 2 some verses for encouragement. Verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. May the Lord add his blessing.